So hello, I'm Alex Rakeen. I'm a barrister at Thurton and Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And um, today I've got with me, and I'm really pleased I've got with me, uh, Jackie Cowley. Um, I'm going to let Jackie introduce herself and I'm going to hand over directly to you, Jackie, straight away. So as it were, yes. tell us about, tell us who you are and, and, and a little bit about your background. Okay, yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, so my name's Jackie Cowley. Um, I'm an advocate. Um, and just to for, for context and, and background, um, so I began working in advocacy in mental health uh, in medium secure units in 2003. And then when the Mental Capacity Act came into effect, I uh, became an independent mental capacity advocate and managed the IMCA service in Manchester. And um, then a couple of years later, the Department of Health were funding several projects to deliver guidance uh, and resources on the Mental Capacity Act and advocacy. And so I went to work for a national umbrella type of advocacy organisation uh, with my colleague uh, Sue. And we created various resources around uh, IMCAs uh, and, and best practice and, and the, the, the minute detail of, of the practice. Uh, and then when all the DH funding um, was, was, was kind of spent, Sue and I set up what is now my organisation, Empowerment Matters. And we wanted there to continue to be a voice really for both Mental Capacity Act and Mental Capacity Advocacy. So we continue to develop guidance and resources, not just on mental capacity advocacy, but on, on the act itself. So assessing capacity for deputies, for example. Um, and uh, Sue has since uh, left uh, Empowerment Matters, she, she retired. Uh, and I've continued, but um, the, the resources and the guidance aspect of it has diminished quite significantly the last couple of years, um, because I also continue to, to work as an advocate with those in a prolonged disorder of consciousness. Um, and so the, the last couple of years I've focused on, on writing a book about, about that, um, as well as doing, doing work, but it meant, it meant uh, certain things had to be prioritized. So, so that's uh, me and how I kind of got to be here, I guess. Brilliant. I would just ask on everyone, on everyone's behalf, I would say, if at some point you could face updating the wonderful guidance you did about financial, capacity about assessing financial capacity people will be very grateful because it's, oh, it, it's one of the most concrete and useful things out there and so it would just be as i say please oh, if you have the you. time next on your list but I, yes just, just one really basic question um actually because i'm an advocate mm. i mean i'm a barrister i yeah. could label myself as an advocate and it's always so interesting when I'm, I was reading your book, and I want you to talk a little bit more about this in, in, in a, about the book in a bit, but just reading your book, and I kept having to remind myself at one level, we are both advocates, but not mm. the same sort of advocates. And I, yeah. I just, I'd like your take on what advocacy means to you. Yeah, yeah. Your, as it were, your advocacy, not as it were, legal advocacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I do think being an advocate in in the wider sense is 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 something within societies and 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 communities as as well um it's it's within um it's 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 innate and i suppose something that i try to convey in in the the book is is that advocacy is about whatever 
issue person story you're you're representing and and doing justice to to that i suppose um and and being able to step away from from your own profession uh, your own values your own ethics and and be there for a person be there for a cause so so for me advocacy is is recognizing that there's there's power <laughs> um and there's uh power imbalances power in power differences um and and being on the side of of the one that feels disempowered that 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 doesn't have their their voice heard um that that needs support that may be able to articulate many things but is still not being heard um so it's about trying to balance the scales whilst recognizing that maybe can't occur but but at least um i suppose say to the person in power you, you with that comes responsibility um and and responsibility is is seeing the person in in a much wider way um than than what a particular role may dictate as it were um but yes i i am conscious that 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 we are both advocates in different ways um yeah. And also I think directed in different ways. Yes, and I just think it's so interesting. I mean, it's interesting that the word advocate is used, as it were, identifying a set of legal people, as it were, and then and then advocacy is is used in so many different other terms, and then it's mm. it's then drilled drilled down into specifically IMCA advocacy in the context mm. of the Mental Capacity Act. And I, one thing I'd find really helpful, and I think other people listening would find really helpful, is how you contextualise or how you see your role as an IMCA in a medical treatment decision, say. Mm, yeah. I've, I've heard so many different people characterize it in slightly different ways. Mm. And I'd just love to get your take on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose, um, just just two things on that, because one of the, not negatives around IMCAs, but one of the, the problems is the strict criteria of it, um, which can, cause advocates themselves to, to kind of silence themselves or, or be unclear um, and equally uh, on, on the other side of, of the, the, the medical decision can, can view advocacy in a very particular lens because that's their only uh, experience. Um, but I suppose what the, the, my view on, on what the role of advocacy is within medical uh, decision making is there is, of course, the important information about the clinical side of things. Um, and one would assume you're getting that expertise from, from, the, from the decision maker, from the clinician that, that, that's in front of you. And that's vital. Um, but uh, none of us make decisions um, purely based on one source of information. And that goes the same for, for the person that needs an advocate, whether they can articulate that fully or not. But there are wider aspects of, of our life in all decisions. Um, so uh, for example, to, to talk about an obvious one, which, which is uh, uh, because that, that's kind of what the book is, refers to is a peg feed. Um, there's the clinical element, what happens with or without nutrition and hydration, important vital information. But then there's what does it mean to an individual? Um, for some people, 
a peg feed purely means nutrition, hydration, and I stay alive. For other people, it means food. It means engaging with with people. It means going out um, to to restaurants. It means certain routines on on a, a Friday night. It means enjoyment, and it's about being able to convey who who the individual is and what was important to them, um, or what my what elements of their life bring to the clinical uh, decision. Um, so it's it's being that holistic person and and being who you would be uh, in, in, a, in a clinical decision. There's so many thought processes uh, and aspects and relational dynamics that are going on when we make our own decisions about healthcare. Yeah. I, I do just want to come back and, and ask you just to talk a little bit more about the, the limitations or the, 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 that first element that you were talking about, that the strict criteria for a point mm. in, in IMCA. It's, it's been something which has been coming up in a whole series of different contexts recently mm. and I just just get your take on that and and the extent to which that yeah get get your take on it and how, how you that impacts upon you and other advocates you work with or you've, you've encountered yeah um yeah I mean it's it's a strange one <laughs> um it's that that it, it isn't controversial to say that that the criteria for an IMCAS related to the person having family or friends that can be consulted with, as in, if you've got them, you wouldn't get an IMCA, and if you don't have them, um, you would get an IMCA. It isn't controversial to say that that decision um, took resources into account. Could, could Is there an affordability for every single person? Um, and, and clearly the answer is, is, is no. Um, but but what's happened with that is then advocates are either seen as substitute family members, and we're not, um, nor can we be, nor should we ever claim to be. We don't know the person in, in that sense. We also don't come with the uh, emotional aspect that, that family members bring. Um, we're not tied to this person in, in that way. Um, and that's a factor in, in decision making. How will this impact on me personally will convey what I might represent as, as a family member. We can't expect family members, nor should we, um, to become someone independent and someone separate from the individual and say this is what's important. Some families can do that, but it shouldn't be an expectation. Um, and, and so what it can then mean and, and where the individual can learn, lose out or, or their lives be enhanced is that if you get um, an IMCA who, who you'd assume is up to date on case law, is, is skilled in, in, in the advocacy skills of, of negotiation, communication, finding out information, writing reports, researching, they do all of that and they're paid to do that and that, that's their job. And they speak to everyone that, that might know the individual. Um, can get a more robust uh, decision-making uh, process if you're the individual at the heart of that. Whereas if you're reliant on family who may not know any of this, who may not feel comfortable in challenging, who may feel that they can't represent certain aspects of, of the individual, who may be just, you're the doctor, tell me what, what is meant to happen here, that the person's voice can get completely lost. Um, and then, so we have this just bizarre two-tier system of some people will have access uh, to, to 
proper decision making. That's not to say that it doesn't occur um, when when advocates are not involved, but it is going to be different. Um, And it may mean, as as it can often do, is that the person gets lost or silenced uh, in the system. One thing you then mentioned, a second point, you, you, the sort of restrictions, one, one of the, the aspects you mentioned was that that sometimes means the function of advocacy or the way it, the, the criteria means that sometimes advocates can be seen by doctors in particular in a very particular light. Mm. I'd be very interested in what your top tip is as an, as an incredibly experienced IMCA for engaging with doctors to make it so that, it, that, as it were, you are seen as part of, a productive part of the process, as yeah. opposed to, for instance, I have on occasion heard it, you know, so characterises effectively a pain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if yeah. you see what I mean, being very crude. Yeah. But how, you know, just, uh, yeah. just in terms of being trying to be have this have, have constructive things in here. I mean, not that you aren't being constructive, but just let's you know, what, what would be yeah, your yeah. top tip for? I, th- I think just really conveying that they, that you're there because the person cannot make the decision themselves. Um, this isn't a criticism of the health system, but the reality is if you are in hospital, your clinical need is is, is present. It's, it's the reason that, that you're there um, and you expect to be viewed through that, that lens. And that's how, that is what's going to lead decisions and that's what we would want. Um, uh, but... And so that's how decisions are made full stop. Um, but but when when someone isn't able to to engage in that, there is a real risk of um, decisions being made that that they, if they could, would say no to, or I want you to consider this. Um, and and so it's really just about conveying that I'm I'm not here to to challenge medical expertise i'm not here to challenge what um certain guidance might say that that that's not the starting point the starting point is to say i'm here as if i was the person themselves or i've attended uh, an appointment with them i'm i'm ensuring that they have a voice even if nothing changes um they have that right to it's it's conveying someone's right but also someone's voice um that should be recognized that should be recognized full stop um, whether we have capacity or not in a hospital environment for example it doesn't get removed because the person's inability changes or ability rather changes i speak of guidance i vividly remember sitting next to you uh, at a meeting at the royal college of physicians working on dis- uh, guidance relating to uh, prolonged disorders of consciousness and there was a discussion i'm not revealing confidences but there was a discussion about the extent to which there may be circumstances under which you simply can't say what the person would have done and i remember you sort of bristling at that point uh, and, and, and I just wanted to sort of explore with you why you bristled so much at that point. Because I think there's always something about someone where the perspective can go wrong is we don't know what they thought about this decision. Um, we don't know whether they wanted a peg feed, for example. Right. And lots of people have not expressed that to, to others. Um, but we use information about what we know of how someone 
lived their life, what was important to them. There is generally that information somewhere in some form, either in photos, uh, either in uh, neighbours, either in observations in the community, where the person was found, what life were they living uh, in that moment. We must be able to gauge something about someone. We usually can um, because we, we expose who we are in, in how we dress, how we speak, who we engage with, what we put on social media, the photos that we have, um, the ways that we live our life speaks volumes about who we are as, as individuals and I don't accept that there's, that there's no one out there where you couldn't find that information on because we exist. We have, we have interacted with society in some form at some point, most of us. Um, and that gives you a clue into, into who someone is. You can't know everything for a fact, but it gives you uh, a clue. So maybe you don't know what someone would want in terms of having continued treatment via nutrition hydration, but you can find out, or you can at least try to find out how they lived, what was important, what were their values, um, what was living uh, about. Um, and I, and I, I think if we all try, <laughs> uh, that, 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 is, that is possible. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. I, you've mentioned a couple of times your book, and we're sort of drawing close to the end of the interview, although frankly, I could chat to you all day. <laughs> I really could. Um, drawing close to the end of it, can you just sort of outline briefly for us what, what the book's about, what's it called and what's, what, what's it about? Mm -hmm. um, so it's called Life, Death and the Journeys in Between and then subheading uh, Stories of an Advocate. Um, it's in two parts. Um, and if people just want to read the second part, then just read the second part because that's the most important bit. The first part is just about my advocacy journey really, a little bit about me, how I became an advocate and how I began working in disorders of consciousness. And then the second part is, is, is the crux of it really, is the stories of those that I've been an advocate for in a disorder of consciousness, where most, not all, where most resulted in court protection uh, uh, judgment um, and uh, case obviously. And it's, it's just, it's telling the stories through both my perspective as a professional advocate, but also me as a person that, that's witnessing um, the sadness, the trauma, the devastation, um, the, the, the meetings, the discussions, the language, the, the words that, that are used. Um, both from getting to the, the point of the court of protection, if that occurred, and then what that was like. Um, so what, what's the system like and what's that experienced as? Um, and so it's wanting to kind of tell the story but behind the judgment in, in some sense, because of course in every judgment there's more behind um, the, the, those words. There's, there's the history, there's the journey that, that got us there. Um, and so it's about, what what was this like for, for the individual it, in terms of the conversations that were occurring? They were unlikely aware of that, but but also what it was like for, for the family to, to go through that. Um, and it isn't telling their story, um, but it is striking that what I wrote and then I sent to each family that they fed back, yeah, that was that's what it was like. Um, 
and it's wanting people to hear that really um so that that's that's what it's about um making sure that that their stories aren't aren't forgotten well, thank you so much, Jackie. I really do appreciate thank it. I really you. do appreciate you taking the time. The easiest way to find the book, I think, is to Google uh, the book title and your, and, and, and your name, Jackie Cowley, um, and then people can find it easily. I also, there's a book review of it on my website as well, so you can also link to it from there. So yeah. thanks so much. 